Welcome to a very special Transmissions podcast event. Uh, we are reacting to Transformers War for Cybertron Kingdom, and we've got very special guests, FJ DeSanto and Matt Murray, showrunners and producers of the entire War for Cybertron trilogy. Thank you guys for joining us again to talk about Transformers War for Cybertron Kingdom. Uh, we're excited to be back with you guys. This is like the tradition for this, so it's good to... <laughs> wrap it up with you guys always you guys are i think you guys are always the first people we talk to we try to be oh every time like i think i think literally for all three you guys are the first people who have seen it that we've talked to i know when when i was texting you to set this up you were like you were the first person that has seen kingdom no, I started grilling him. He's yeah. probably sitting there like, leave me alone. I was walking you know, my like, dog. What'd you think of this? You know, Did it work? <laughs> well, uh, this, is, this is going up after Kingdom has been released on Netflix. So hopefully uh, everyone watching this, if you haven't watched it yet, go you know, spend a, a couple of hours and watch all six episodes because we're going to spoil the whole thing. This is going to be uh, you know, spoiler-filled deep dive show all about, you know, asking about the, the behind the scenes and, and just details about the show and, and, you know, some of the, you know, plot motivations, all that good stuff. So fair warning, if you haven't watched it, this is going to spoil everything. So hit stop on YouTube, go watch it and then come back and, uh, and we'll talk about it. So uh, without further ado, let's get right in. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I was, I was really happy with kingdom, happy with the entire trilogy really. And, and, uh, this one was very much, of course, uh, a Beast Wars focused uh, series, and uh, I'm a fan of Beast Wars too, as well as G1. So uh, this was, I, I thought, this was a really uh, cool way to to bring both of those things together. And I was surprised as at how much of uh, Transformers the movie you guys uh, rolled in there too. So you know, you you, you took uh, the nexus of of. Uh, you know, chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla all mixed together there. You know, the G1, uh, the 86 movie, and Beast Wars. So that it, it, was that your your intention all from the beginning is to, to merge all three yeah. of those things together? Yeah, that, that's the one thing I can say. We didn't, you know, sort of bullshit our way through. That was, <laughs> in, well, you could see in, you know, the Dead Universe episode in Earthrise with Galvatron mm-hmm. and the disc. You know, we we had always sort of set it up and and the golden disc as a MacGuffin was always talked about because the Matt can speak on beast wars better than I can. You know, I had to sort of get a a much deeper education into it than say G1, but you know, we always knew Galvatron was going to be a big part of it. That was always a a big thing. Like, because we knew Galvatron was going to be in, in the kingdom toy line. And, you know, when Hasbro tells you, tells you these things, it there's no story logic to it. It's just, hey, we're going to do a Galvatron toy. So, you know, it's on us, you know, meaning Matt and I, the writers, et cetera, to sort of figure it out. But we did sort of have a framework from the beginning that the kingdom season would center around the golden disc because it was such a cool thing that was never explored. And the beauty of, you know, of the original Beast Wars, there's so much stuff that's not explained in it that allowed us the opportunity to sort of take advantage of story-wise and sort of flesh out and you know what is the golden disc and what's on it and all that stuff and how does it tie into all this stuff and you know and from that emerged a new sort of narrative of 
you know, uh, Unicron, not Unicron, yeah, Unicron with Galvatron and Nemesis as sort of his minions, lackeys, whatever, heralds. Um, the Nemesis thing, Matt, I don't remember. The Nemesis thing evolved as we kept going. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like Nemesis wasn't always the plan. Galvatron always was. But then when we realized there was an opportunity of, and hopefully this comes across in the, the, the show, the sort of quote-unquote revised history is the Beast Wars characters come from a future where the Allspark never came back. I think they actually even say that. It's yeah, mm-hmm. So the yeah. twist was, you know, you imagine, especially when you see the state of Cybertron in the sixth episode, is Cybertron dies and eventually in some form of evolution, the Maximals and Predacons emerge, know a little bit about the history, and you have Beast Wars Megatron is sort of like, you know, like a like obsessed with history, you know, names himself after this and, and sort of is the one who figures it out, but their universe is sort of has a, a bigger evil presence of Unicron, Nemesis and Galvatron. And that's sort of like, even though the Maxwells and Predacons hate each other, there's still like something above them oppressing the planet, what that is and how much detail, you know, we sort of didn't get too deep into other than we had that, you know, sort of brief flashback in the beginning when he steals the disc. But um, it was always the idea, I'm doing the long-winded version, that the Maximals of Predacons and that future was the direct result of Prime throwing the Allspark into the space bridge and the ramifications of that. So the idea was you're confronted by your future. You know what I mean? Like you're, confu- you're confronted by the future you created whether that was the Maxwell's Predacons, Nemesis, Galvatron, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how you explained it to me when we were chatting, like referencing the 2009 Star Trek and how they handled the time travel. And, you know, like basically like what's in popular culture now with things like Loki, the branching timelines and stuff. Sure. And essentially that's how this time travel seems to work. Well, that's the, the idea, you know, because this was always warfism. Here, here's the, and I'm being honest, and somebody at Hasbro will kill me for this, but, but the idea was when the trilogy was presented to us, it was always, hey, it's a prequel to G1. It's like, okay, it's a prequel to G1, but that's fine in Siege and Earthrise, right? But then when you get to Kingdom, you inherently contradict G1 by having the Beast Wars characters show up in some capacity and interact with them, and you didn't want to do the cheap 1960 sci-fi where it's like they have this adventure and then their memories erase and they have amnesia you know and then it goes back to G1 like something stupid like that it had to be something more permanent more you know definitive and that Star Trek the 2009 Star Trek and I'm saying this is diehard Trekkie old original series Trekkie what was great about that movie was hey if you watched this franchise for 40 years all that happened but this thing happened, which is a very Star Trek conceit, what, you know, time travel and messing with they, they did that a million times in the show, except this put everything in this direction. And you have Nimoy and Zach Quinto interacting, which was really cool. And that was the idea of like, you know, we got to a point where it was like, oh, my God, Galvatron and Megatron interacting. And that led to, oh, well, if we're going to have those two, we should have the parallels and have Nemesis and Optimus, and that sort of evolved naturally where we seeded that in the second season 
with that one shot of Nemesis. And the idea was in that, you know, fifth episode in the dead universe was you were seeing all those different potential futures, dead Optimus, Nemesis, Galvatron, all these different things, you know, from the past to the potential futures. And at some point, and I'm sure you'll eventually talk to the writers, you know, all of them, uh, and someone will remember better than I will, that Nemesis sort of evolved in that, that there had to be the parallel with the two key characters meeting their future selves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was all great that, like, when the Beast Wars characters mentioned, like, they had, like, complement of, like, 200 plus, and now they're down to these six. So if you want to, you can say, okay, the Beast Wars show still happened. And, yeah. Well, that you know, was up, up until they, they run into the, the arc. Yeah, well, the, the idea is, you know, when we, one of the writers, we, you know, Tim Sheridan, May Cat wrote this. May, in particular, you know, she was on Cyberverse. And I met May really early on. And the first thing May had said to me, without knowing anything about the trilogy, was, are you doing anything with Beast Wars? It's my favorite thing ever. And I said, if you wait six months, I'll answer that question. And she said, okay. And then when we're getting Kingdom, so, you know, we had Brandon and Gavin in the, the, the way we sort of did it was we sort of would keep one writer and sort of ship somebody out, you know, which sounds really awful. It didn't mean it that way. To sort of keep it going. So it was Gavin and Brandon in the first one, and then Gavin and Tim in the second one, and then Tim and May in the third one. And Gavin went and did another show for Matt and I that's coming out next year. But the but the idea was, how do we play to the strengths of these guys? Like Brandon, really G1-oriented guy, right? Like really knew that stuff, had great ideas for it. Gavin knows all that shit. And he was coming off of Cyberverse. So, you know, and we tread similar story territory. So it was easy to, you know, that was really helpful. And then, you know, Tim came in. And then Tim had a real affinity for Galvatron. And particularly show up with the old Galvatron toys in the office and stuff like that. But May really, the, the reason I bring this up is May really set the tone in the, with the first episode of, of Kingdom. And the one thing we sort of came up with was like sort of a twist of the Maximals and the Autobots wouldn't necessarily trust each other in the beginning. Because you want the excuse of, like, you, you naturally expect, like, the old school Marvel team up, right? Like, everybody's going to fight and then team up, right? But Instead, it, we just thought it would be cooler if Beast Wars Megatron meets his hero and he bows immediately and here's the disc. And, and it's almost like I was proven right. I told you guys. You know, it's like sort of telling Dinobot, like, I told you he would show up. Here's the disc, dude. But there's also the ulterior motive that you learn later is Beast Wars Megatron is trying to help Megatron not become Galvatron to protect their own future. You know what I mean? So to avoid all that stuff. So, you know, I, I give May and Tim a lot of credit to make all that, especially that, that Trek 2009-esque element to it, that they made it relatively clean. Like, that was a big surprise when we were sort of in post on it and watching it, you know, the big screen and sort of going, oh, this is actually makes sense. Like, it's not convoluted. It's not, you know, like the, the time travel aspect of it is clear, but we had to create this sort of new, not necessarily new, but sort of fleshed out idea of this future is the future where the AllSpark doesn't come back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I give all credit, you know, like May would know how these characters 
acted and spoke in the beginning, but also coming up with that sort of, even those little things, like you say, that, well, we had a complement of 200 people, uh, 200 soldiers or warriors or whatever, and we're down to these things. To be honest, that was mostly because we wanted to focus on the core characters right. and uh, and deliver on on both sides. Yeah, if that makes sense. It definitely give, gives their their struggle weight, though. And, and in, in terms of the characters, I mean, she got the mannerisms of a lot of them. Just like like Rat Trap acted like Rat Trap. That I mean, I thought out of all of them, he was like the most perfect in terms of how he acted. No, that's great. That's great. That's Tadaro doing the voice because oh. we we knew, you know, me as a New Yorker, we, I just said to Matt, I said, we got to get Tadaro to do this. And he thought I was joking. And he was like, hey, yo, you want me to do the voice? And I was like, no, no, like, like, Frank, you know, like, I really want you to do it. And then, you know, they sort of went in and figured out how to do it in a way. Yeah. But I feel like, she, you know, the other thing is, as much as I like those original shows, you know, we wanted to spotlight them all in this in a way that they fit into this show because what what I really like the big surprise and really it's a compliment to Tim May and you know the studio the animation studio Polygon uh, and our director is the Maximals really come across like a family Mm -hmm. more than the Autobots like in my mind the Autobots are going to learn something from these guys that they're, they're so used to being a military unit over these three seasons that you know, like I, I always like the bit where they're worried about Air Razor. You know, like we got to go get her. We got it. Like I, I enjoy their motivations are more personal than the Autobots. And then with the Predacons, you know, it's sort of a little more ragtaggy, and they're sort of at their wits' end. But Beast Wars Megatron is sort of proven right. Like I went here, we got to this place, and my hero showed up, and. What kind of trouble can we cause now? But, you know, the, 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 we try to give them depth um, with obviously without trying to insult any of the core elements of the characters. Let me ask a, a quick question. Like how much of like how much of the like, the plan like, in the story was was Megatron's was was his fault, if that's the right word for it? like how much of that was was his plan and how much of that was just something that kind of just happened by happenstance. Matt. Sorry. What do you mean specifically like his plan? So, all right. So in in the story, uh, Megatron goes, Megatron goes back in time and ends up, you know, on uh, the prehistoric earth. Oh, you're talking about Beast Wars Megatron. Yes. Sorry. I got confused. Okay. Oh, no worries. So, like, how much of that was intentional for him? Or, like, how much of it was, like, how much does he know? How much does he, does he, does he control this? I mean, he he does feel different than the, the, uh, like, the classic, quote-unquote, Beast Wars Megatron. So, like, how much of that was, like, his plan? How much of that was, was, like, scripted for him? I, I mean, I don't, after you might have to correct me on this, but like, I think the intention was that this Beast Wars Megatron wasn't able to decode the golden disc very much. He got a little, little snippets here and there and could sort of like, you know, fill in the gaps with what he had learned from what little history there was of, you know, the pre-war and stuff like that. So he sort of had an idea of what he was trying to do. And, you know, he obviously you know, set off with the best of intentions to, you know, steal the golden disc and try to, in his mind, you know, right the wrongs of, 
of the history. But I, I think is in my mind, as, as soon as they show up on earth and then they start interacting with the G1 characters, every, you know, all bets are off. Like at a certain point, the golden disc just becomes null and void because they start going off the path of that history. And that's why things kind of don't necessarily go the way that he was probably hoping they went. So I, I think a lot of that is because, you know, again, we're messing with, you know, time travel and timey wimey stuff here, but like, as soon as that, you know, and I'm going to use the Loki terms here because now they're in, you know, the public uh, lexicon. But, you know, as soon as that divergent timeline happened with the AllSpark leaving, you know, all bets are off. Like you can sit there and you can try to go, well, this is how it happened one way. And it goes, well, it's not going to happen this way this time. So I think, you know, he, he set out with a very specific plan in mind and then, you know, had to improvise as he went along. The other thing, Mike, is I don't know if this answers your question about how much Megatron was planning, but. There's a line in the very last episode where Galvatron says, why do you think we let that idiot get the golden disc? You know, which is obviously, and you see him get all pissed off. And we had originally, and it's just more for time than anything, we were going to have a bit where you saw Galvatron give Beast Wars Megatron the golden disc in the future. But then it would be too on the nose. Like, you'd lose the mystery of it and the idea of Nem- the, the Heralds of Unicron sort of terrorizing everybody, you know, would go out the door if Galvatron and Beast Wars Megatron got along. So he's, he's slightly manipulated with the golden disc. Like, he sort of nudged, like, you know. Right. And you didn't, in the end, you didn't need to, like, hit it that, like, that close to home for it, too. I mean, exactly. I think we all, like, kind of gathered, like, uh, that it was, is at least, he was part like at least Galvatron is partially responsible for it, if not wholly responsible for it. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, the Galvatron nemesis thing. I mean, it's one of those things. If we had ten episodes, my life would have been a lot easier. But the <laughs> but the idea was always, you know, that evolved as it kept going. You know, in terms of that extra sort of subplot of. How how much of, how much of Galvatron and Nemesis's backstory did you flesh out? Because I mean, Galvatron, of course, I mean we can we can extrapolate from Transformers the movie. He was turned into Galvatron. He doesn't want to work for Unicron. He you know he's he's he sees. I mean that's that was clear from the '86 movie. He sees himself as a slave, you know, to this this giant being that he you know he wants to destroy. And of course, he's manipulating everything to try and get out from under that control. But with with Nemesis Prime, that's kind of a completely new element. You know, I I I really want to know what that backstory is because I mean, if we're if we're talking about Transformers the movie, Prime died, and then at some point, you know, Unicron got Prime's dead body and reanimated him and and made him a, a herald and you know kind of turned him into something the the thing that he he hates the most, which is is a really interesting uh, thing. I, I'd really like to see you know Prime's journey from Optimus to Nemesis. There's a snippet. In the scene where Starscream listens to the disc, where he, which originally, I can say these things now, we were going to sort of lift the dialogue from the 86 movie of him becoming Galvatron, like lift it. Mm. But uh, there were copyright concerns with that. I'm I'm being frank about it. Matt, can't you tell me if I'm wrong about that? So what, what we ended up doing was creating a sort of new fiction where he, where Prime is, you hear Prime being killed 
or, you know, he's like Megatron's narrating, like Optimus is dead. So like that to me is not 86 movie. That's some other post G1 adventure that they all are involved in. And, you know, and the key to the whole thing was that in, and again, this is not on the screen, but this was sort of the, the backstory we discussed and the writers might have different recollections or more fleshed out recollections. To me, the simple thing was it, Nemesis is the symbol of the optimist who fails to bring the AllSpark back, right? Mm. So he failed the planet. Alita's dead. Like, and that's the key. Like, like Alita, you know, the, we kept her dead, as you can see, except, you know, the little mm. spark ghost shit at the end. But the 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 idea was always that was the symbol of failure. Like he gave up, you know. And that's why when Prime says, "Who did this to you?" Like, like he's sort of like, "Yeah, that's what happened." Like, because the idea is, it's not necessarily like, "Oh, I'm the evil Optimus." The idea of Nemesis in this is representing the failures of Optimus Prime. Should they not complete this mission? Should they not? rectify the mistakes made in siege or the the things that they did in siege that's the key so and and also you know which was it doesn't come across as strongly as if we had had more time with these things but the idea was that you could see optimus and megatron in some capacity could work together in some way shape or form or you know that was the irony of of those two guys in the future even though they're corrupted and evil that the one thing like they're sitting there like now at this point they're sort of like forget the planet fuck it like we don't care we just want to kill the unicron so we're free you know what i mean like and even megatron can't deal with that like megatron still has that when we get to the end when he has to make a choice it's still and and the th- the idea was everybody else figured this out before megatron did so when they all show up at the end in the sixth episode maximals predacons autobots decepticons the idea is primal's really the one who unifies them off screen you know like he says i got a bad idea he lets everybody out and unifies them and also i would imagine starscream now he's seen all this crazy shit and he's nuts and that that sort of was the idea was like starscream is sort of now this wild card wilder than wild card in the whole thing and and again that's always Tadaro being able to deliver something grounded with with and realistic and, and dramatic with what could easily be a mustache twirly mm-hmm. parody, you know, the, and that's the, that's the advantage of these actors, especially Jason and Frank and Jake is, and especially Lindsay as Alita, you know, that, that end scene with Alita is just, you know, like the payoff for the whole thing. But also that moment is where prime becomes prime. You know what I mean? Like when she said you did everything you could like, like that moment is where he comes full circle, you know? And that's why, the idea of I'm, I'm rambling on again, like I always fucking do, but the, the you get the idea that the, the plan was not to become these guys. You don't get to tell us who, what to do. We make our own choices. And even Megatron says that I'll, I'd rather become a herald of Unicron than, you know, deal with you asshole, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is kind of, sad like as i was like rewatching it today and after like end game and everything i'm like it's kind of sad optimus and alita didn't have their you know moment dancing to sad music at, at the end of the movie <laughs> <laughs> you know it becomes that thing where it's yeah. like 
uh, you know, everybody just, you know, what I really liked is that she's in the trailer, you know, right. for the show. So everybody's just, are you bringing her back? Like everybody, you know, the funny thing is we kill her in the second season. <laughs> and to be quite honest, we killed her because the, you know, Hasbro was basically like, you know, you can do whatever you want with her. We're not going to make a toy out of her. And of course, then they made a toy out of her. And I can say, no, no, we're going to make it really cool. We're going to make it really, really cool. These are all the things I'm not allowed to talk about. But, the, you know, and they were like, then they saw like the scripts and they were like, she's going to be really cool. We're going to make a toy out of her. And I'm, you know, okay, guys. And, uh, but there could have, you know, we could have done, again, like I was talking about with like the cheap old 50s and 60s sci-fi, you know, we're like, oh, they have amnesia. They don't remember meeting the Beast Wars characters. Nobody remembers each other, which was, you know, the cheap and easy way to go, which we didn't want to do. There's a cheap and easy way to bring back everybody who died, Magnus and Alita and all that. Right. Like, then the deaths don't mean anything, especially Alita. The idea is like, whatever Alita's sacrifice is what galvanizes Prime. You know, when he finds that body and B is behind him and, you know, we wanted that, there's a price to the war. Because, you know, look, it's Transformers. No matter what, it's not like they're not going to bring the AllSpark back. Like, no, no one's watching this show thinking, yeah, they're going to not get the AllSpark back. The planet's going to die, and that's the end of the series, right? Like, Transformers, RIP. You know, like, like you know the AllSpark's coming back. So you had to have some risk with a payoff where the, there's no reward, and that's the death of Alita in particular. And you cheapen it if you bring her back, you know, in some physical way like oh you know the planet comes alive and everybody lives and it's like dude i'm not doing that yeah yeah i mean you also did that with um with dinobot i mean and this was you know a focus on on beast wars i i get the sense that uh that uh someone rewatched code of hero uh uh, and, uh, and, and I really felt how, you know, the, uh, uh, you did a good homage to that in, in the, you know, in the couple of episodes focusing on Dinobot and the choices he made, but having him still be a Predacon at the beginning of, of this series. And then, you know, not, not quite become a maximal, but, you know, become, become in an independent, uh, um, independent, uh, you know, bot and make his own choices. I thought it was really, really interesting. Yeah, I'm going to let Matt answer that one because and sort of take you through the process of that because he's the beast war guy when it comes to this stuff. Well, and again, I hate to reference Loki, but I know it's you know top of everyone's mind right now. But like again, these are variants. You know what I mean? Like, so we had to really sit there in the writers' room and go, okay, like what are the core tenets of all these characters, and you know what specific things need to happen to make them still feel like those characters. They're not exactly those characters, but they are variants of those characters. And, you know, for me as a kid, obviously, you know, Dinobot and that whole arc that he went through in the original series, like that still sticks in my mind very vividly. So that stuff was very important that we have a version of that, that still felt true to the original series. And, you know, I think we were able to hopefully do that uh, justice. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was saying that it, it was very kind of poignant and um, compressed, or like the whole story was compressed, and um, thought it was done really well. Yeah, it, it. We the thing is, 
I don't remember how that came about. I guarantee you that's me and Tim somewhere figuring that part out. Cause I don't remember sort of being like, we got to do the Dinobot art, but the, what I like about that, especially his sort of moment where he dies and he's dealing with primal is it's much less factiony the Maximals and the Predacons than the Autobots and the Decepticons, which is a very clean sort of ideology. You know what I mean? Like, whereas, like, mm-hmm. the Predacons are a gang of thieves, you know, like, or at least Beast Wars Megatron is to me. You know, like, we stole this thing, we were doing this, and and I feel like they weren't, their battle on their Cybertron was not as significant or insane as the Autobots Decepticons when we meet them in Siege. You know, they're, they're rivals, but it's more like street gangs versus armies, if that makes sense. So it's a little more personal. They might know each other a little more personally. That's why I really like the scene of Dinobot when he dies saying to Primal, you know, would I have been a cool, you know, would I have made a good Maximal? And they sort of banter with each other, you know. And that's that was the big joy for me with this was the writers and the, you know, everybody with this, the writers and the director and, and the actors really got an emotion out of that. Because to your point, Jeremy, when you said it's condensed, it's super condensed. And, and that's the biggest problem with the whole thing is trying to squeeze in as much as you can. Like someone who was yelling at me on Facebook, some fan yesterday, like, how dare you try to do all this in six episodes? I'm like, what, what do you want me to do? Like, you know, like, not do it you know what i mean like but at least it meant something to the story like he gets the all you know the the matrix and he gives it like it's also serves purpose of story as opposed to just replicating something that happened in the original beast wars series oh this guy turns you know we sort of did that with jetfire and jetfire and dinobot have very similar arcs in it you know and the and that was intentional sort of bookend it you know that way with these characters yeah, and I think with um, Dinobot in particular, since in the original show he defected to the Maximals very early on, but in this he never did. I like that you have that bit with him and Optimus Primal, you know, and he's like, I, I, I thought about defecting so many times. Would you have accepted me? And Primal's like, yeah, but you would have made a crappy Maximal. I thought that was just a great line. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Tim and May brought real personality to those characters in this and 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 that's a that was a real pleasant surprise for me personally as you know i i'm a man of a certain age as you can tell with all this gray and i have contemporaries friends who you know like me grew up at the dawn of transformers who will say you know i don't really care about the beast wars characters i don't give a shit about the beast wars characters like you know, and then you've got, you know, Matt's generation who entry point is entirely Beast Wars. You know, like, I love Beast Wars. I, you know, oh, my God, we're going to see these characters for the first time in, you know, 25 years and all this shit. And the idea was how do you honor Matt's generation and then convince the old fogies that I roll with the viability of these characters in a sort of combined mixed universe? of Transformers and how to make them make sense in not necessarily G1, but in the war for Cybertron continuity, which I guess is his own continuity. Um, and how, and that's why we, you know, 
that was the other big twist is leaving them all together at the end in two different, you know, factions. You know, they're not necessarily Autobots or Decepticons anymore or Maximals Predacon. It's just these guys and these guys. Um, you know, that was the fun with Black Arachnia also sort of playing every side and all that shit. First off, uh, don't listen to just weirdo random fans on Facebook. <laughs> the problem is, you know, the, the problem is with everyone's going to be a critic. <laughs> yeah, you know, look, everybody's a critic. And at a certain, I learned on this one not to go to the message boards as much because, you know, it's like, you know, people sitting there like, oh, I hope FG DeSanto never works again. And, all this shit. It's like, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get people have a sense of ownership and on these things. And you, you read my comment. <laughs> but that was like, yeah. You just did it like, you know, instead of, you know, Daryl with one R, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, That's my alias. Yeah, exactly. The, very creative. But the, the, you know, you realize that you have a responsibility when we make these things and everybody knows this of we're all fans of it. We all have our iteration of it, whether it's beast wars, whether it's G one 86 movie, like the later shows, et cetera, everybody has their own connective moment to it and their own interpretation of what it should be, you know? And right. so, you know, the majority of the, the hate messages I get on Instagram and Facebook in particular, are all from that basis of this of, of what their Transformers is. And so there's no right or wrong to that. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, like I'm a DC, I'm sure I talked about this before, but I'm a DC Comics fanatic and I don't like any of the recent movies, right? Like all the, the Snyder stuff. But there's a part of me that sits there and knows like, okay, I don't like this. Something else will come along that I'll like eventually with these characters down the line. Like, none of these things are going away but it's speaking to somebody somewhere because you know our show has done really well you know so it's it's speaking to somebody and i'd like to think there's a generation that this is being introduced to you know of transformers that you know are gonna this is their jumping on point or this is their thing because it's interesting if you go if you go like you know if you look at the comments on like a non-fan specific page, like a net Netflix's YouTube, the majority of the comments for a trailer will be very, very positive. If it's on, I'm not going to name some of your rival fan <laughs> podcasts, you know, there are people, podcasters and, you know, fan sites that I'm going to sound like I'm a dick, but the, who think if they speak authoritatively enough, they know how this works. You know what I mean? Like they know like, well, obviously they didn't have enough money to do this or obviously they did this. It's like, no, dude, you weren't there. You don't know what we did. Right. And so, that's the secret in podcasting. We, we talk as if we, you know, but you guys don't do that because I listen to you guys, you guys are very clear that it's your opinion versus right. fuck you, FJ. This is, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like a disaster, right? So you can, yeah. you guys can look at it objectively versus, you know, and by the way, that's big business. I'm sure, you know, these YouTube channels, that's big business. They, they, they don't want to see, like, nobody goes on the YouTube thing to hear good things. They want to, oh, yeah, I agree with that motherfucker. You know, like that guy, you know, voices, oh, you know, like 
and you know we we get used to it at a certain point but then also when you're working with giant corporations like Hasbro and Netflix they can sit there and say guess who watched this show you know and it's not the 90% of the people who watch the show aren't going to those you know aren't going to be on those YouTube channels you know what i mean the diehards are always going to watch it and go on to the next thing and you know what whoever does something after this they'll they'll hate that and love this. You know what I mean? That, that's what we learned. Like when Siege came out, it's the majority of the fan base goes, oh, it's a disaster. We hate it. Then Earthrise comes out and goes, well, I like Siege better. And then you know, Kingdom <laughs> will come out and go, well, I liked Earthrise better. And then, you know, years from now, another show will come out with somebody else and they'll go, oh, it's not as good as War for Cybertron. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like that's just, that's just the way it works. And I, I'm guilty of it too. Like I'm, I'm that fan also with certain things. So you, you get sort of used to it. I mean, it, you can look at how the Star Wars prequels are now a lot more loved than they were when they first came out. See, Matt, I told you. I yep. told you that. Because <laughs> that's the thing. The sequels make the prequels now. Uh, and also because it's a generational thing. So, well, like, for example, again, being a man of a certain age, I can remember a world without Star Wars, right? Very, very briefly, by the way. I'm not that old. But the, the thing is, I had the experience of those original three movies, right? So, again, guys my age who don't give a shit about Beast Wars, right? They're sitting there going, well, I hate the prequels. Now, I'm different. I'm the type, like I was mentioning before, like, I don't think the prequels are great movies, but I like learning more about a world that I'm obsessed with, right? Like, I, I'm more interested, like, oh, so this is what happened. Like, to me, that's folklore. It's legend and all that stuff, right? The sequels, I won't, I won't get into the sequels, but the thing is, I have a nephew who, you know, has spent a lot of time with me over the years. He's 22 now, and he had his early movie-going experience with seeing the second and third prequel movies, right? He was too young for the first one, but, had a, but now has a sort of romantic view of six movies versus us who grew up with three, you know, and we're adults when the prequels come out so you have to imagine now they're sitting there going we love the prequels you know and maybe that'll be war for some I mean, the thing is like you have people gonna sit there transformers prime was better you know that's their transformers the animated is their transformers robots in disguise is their Transformers. there's, there's different it's like batman at this point you know everybody's got different batman and and there's no right or wrong version of it there's no bad version of transformers you know that the even if you don't like something you know it, it's today's modern transformers is tomorrow's somebody's romantic nostalgic view like my nephew you know someone somebody's watching with their kids now i take a great but the point being is i take great pride in that and we were cognizant of that meaning we have to create a show that's an open door for anybody to watch all three of these you know, we, we don't want to be so insular that it's the six of us are the only ones who are going to get all these inside jokes and stuff. The idea is, you know, like you were talking, I think it was Jeremy was saying before that the, the, the little comment about we had 200, you know, maximals. And, you know, you see the sparks later and all that stuff. You know, that's cool if you know Beast Wars, but it's fine if you don't because you understand the stakes and what the what these characters have gone through to get to this point speaking mm -hmm. of uh of that of, of having like the this series be the first 
the first entry for for people into Transformers, you know, with like G1 and stuff, like all like the epic moments, you know, like uh, Prime dying in the movie and and all that. Like what kind like what are the epic moments that you want? Like if this was some kids like first entry into Transformers, what are those epic moments that you really want them to remember? Like what's what are the ones that just I mean, not even just in Kingdom, but it's over the whole series. Like what are the ones that really stand out for you? Matt, you name a few and then I'll hop in. That's a great, that's a great question. <laughs> it's a super question. I mean, it's so tough to answer too because like it, it's hard to speak for what speaks to other people. I, I think me personally, there's a couple moments that I'm hoping land as well as they do for me. And, you know, Dinobot's death, I think, came out great. You it's know, a big one. I, I hope that that is a moment that that sticks with new fans as much as it did for me, you know, watching the original Beast Wars. Um, I, I think in Siege, you know, Ultra Magnus's death is a big moment, you know, and and just especially because of the established history with Megatron and stuff like that. Like, to me, that was always meant to be a really impactful moment. And then sort of Jetfire's turn, too. That's what I was going to say as well. The Jetfire's arc, and that was uh, was was really good. Yeah, I I have a real soft spot for Jeff Fires. I I love complex and you know characters that you know feel that that tug of both sides. Like those are always my favorite characters in every media. So like for me, watching Jeff Fires' whole arc throughout Siege and Earthrise, I just absolutely love it. So hopefully that sticks with people as well. Mm. Yeah, I think. Look, I I can think of one moment. There, look, there are things when you create these things where you think oh my God, they're going to go crazy for this. And then it's like, well, they didn't go crazy for that, but they went crazy for this other thing that you didn't realize you were going to do. Uh, for me, the big moment was Alita at the end of this, of the third one, you know, when she comes down, calls him Orion Pax and all that stuff. Like, like I take, I personally take a lot of great pride in that character, you know, Alita, you know, cause we, we sat there very early on and, really wanted a strong female character in the the series because we felt it needed that it's 2021 we want a bad you know badass female transformer but you know windblade had been done we did windblade in the other one and all that stuff like something that was a little fresher and had a personal connection to the characters you know especially when megatron calls her ariel in the second season and all that stuff like so to me that stuff is very important um I'm a big fan of Alpha Trion in this that we, you know, okay. I wish they made a freaking toy out of, but the, um, you know, sort of his impact on it, but that's not necessarily a moment. Like I think an impactful moment for me is a lot of the dead universe episode, because that's where we learn all this cool stuff. Like Megatron and the gladiatorial pits, you know, I just think that's a beautiful sequence. And we learn a lot about where his angst comes from. The murder of Ultra Magnus, I think, is super cool. Um, there's also a bit in the third season where um, they're in the Temple of the Allspark, Prime and Primal, and it's all the sparks, and they go to the, the you know, and, and um, they see the sparks of all the dead Maximals and Predacons, and uh, Primal just sort of quietly says, maximize. You know, but like, like to me, it's like the emotional beats are more interesting to me than, you know, like, you know, you know, it's a big moment, which we planned from the start, which is no surprise that I just think is fun and iconic is Omega Supreme in the first season, just coming out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, I just love that from a nerdy toy point of view. 
and mm-hmm. you know it, it's you know and again my personal thing which i do on every podcast because daryl ruined it and the first thing is the mercenaries you know like, <laughs> like things i'm personally proud of that we added to the canon versus you know what i mean like the mercenaries alita things we were able to bring to it um you know even the arc bot in this like you know like that we knew we were doing from the beginning and to have the opportunity to add new things to the world. Watch Jeremy. Yeah. I've I got to tell you Uh-oh. when in episode five, <laughs> when uh, the art was referred to as Teletran, I literally screamed. <laughs> so I, I have been calling for that. I'm like that's going to be the character's name. And then they call it the art on the toy. So thank you so much for naming the television. <laughs> well, now I can tell them the things I told you, you know, yeah. top secret. But the, you know, the art bot was always planned from the beginning. That they were they, they, they like in the very first minute is like three years ago. They somebody showed a sketch of the art bot, not what it eventually like an early version of it, and we were just like, okay, cool, we're gonna do something with that, and we sort of knew it's going to show up in the third season. That was all we knew. And there's cool concept. I don't know if it's public yet of like the arc bot stopping the nemesis, like the original sort of concept painting and stuff. Um, and what so was really did. cool about it was unlike almost everything else, the toy wasn't fully developed yet. So what was cool was as we were going, getting ready for that, they kept updating us on the design of it. But then also we were working with the team in Japan to design it and adding things to it. So there's a, so, you know, it's initially based on our arc, meaning our design for the arc because the, the, we didn't have CAD data. Like we had the, the, you know, figures. So like that initial arc that you see in all three was designed by our team in Japan based on the original model sheets from the eighties and stuff like that. And, you know, we added a bunch of things. So their reference point for building the toy arc was our design. So this is just a cool nerdy sort of thing that, you know, we, and the only moment this sort of happened. So the thing is once they sort of got into it with Takara, Tomi was, you know, it's easy to draw something, but then they have to figure out how it actually works, you know, how it actually transforms and all that stuff. So the design would slightly change, but the cool thing is we would, as that was going sort of, whether it's a color scheme or a bit, a panel here or there, we were able to, we had really good lines of communication with them. We'd hand that over then they'd send something back. So by the time we, you see them in the thing, it's very, it's super, super close to the toy. And the only instance this ever happened was I got a call. This was six seven, eight months ago. No, it's more than that. It's about a year ago. I got a call from Hasbro. Can you hop on a Zoom? And they didn't tell me why. I'm like, oh, they're probably firing me. But the um, <laughs> we, we got on and it was Montana w- wanted me to see the box art for it. Does anybody have it? Do you guys have it yet? It's not, it's not out, out yet. Out it's yet. not out yet. But when you look at the box art of it, it's got stuff from the show in it. It's got Black Arachne and Air Razor and all these little things that they were taking from the scripts or they, they didn't have the animatics, but they were taking from the script and things I was showing them because I'm always updating them. So it was like the first time they were like, hey, look at this toy box and give us your thoughts on it. Right. 
So I don't know if you've seen the toy box, but it's pretty much, you know, what it is, except they originally had Optimus's hand with the AllSpark in the front. And I was like, guys, no, because <laughs> you're going to see this like months before the show comes out. So if you actually look at the toy box, you'll see the glow of the AllSpark in the bottom right panel. But it's literally to the show. And it was like the coolest, like literally meeting the artist who draws these things was super awesome. And that was my only comment. Like, it's like, dude, it's awesome. And, you know, they sort of explain, like, we have to show both versions of the toy on the front and all that stuff. And, you know, we just want to make sure this doesn't. And Megatron, I think Megatron's in his hand and all that stuff. And they're like, is that a spoiler? I was like, no, you did that with the Scorpinox box anyway. All these John, all these Titans end up grabbing Megatron anyway. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, just do it. But that was a cool thing to sort of introduce into the show and and sort of, you know, and, and to Jeremy, to your thing, we had to come up with a reason for it. So the reason we came up pretty early on was the AllSpark gets on the ship and will be the, you know, power him to whatever. I don't even know if it's clear enough, but the idea was like, it's the AllSpark, you know, it's, it's that gives him the ability to transform because you, you're going to sit there and be like, well, why didn't this thing just transform every season? They're in trouble. You know, like why did it transform on, on, you know, Char and beat up, you you did make that clear in the dialogue and like there is there is a line where they say uh you know i I think like the the data they downloaded from the dead universe uh was what helped teletran reconfigure the arc and then they he wasn't able to transform until he got the power boost from the all spark so that was all made clear yeah you see the bottom right that's the power of the all spark yeah. That bluish thing. They just moved it off panel. Mm. It's super cool. Look how talented they are with these designs. It's just great. Yeah. Yeah. They, their box art um, has really been good the last few years. Yeah. You know, the, they uh, look, I'm sure if I get this much abuse from fans, they probably get tons of abuse, but they really care. And they really, I'm, I'm, I sound like a corporate man when I say that, even though I don't work for them, but like, having worked with them now for five years on the two shows and sort of watched them sort of evolve into special war for Cybertron sort of figuring out that sweet spot of what the fans want, et cetera. And getting to meet the Takara Tomy guys when I was in Japan, which was, you know, a thrill. Um, it's not an easy job with these guys do. So, you know, for them to be able to pull these things off is phenomenal. Yeah. So was there anything, uh, can you tell us anything that got left on the cutting room floor that you wish had, had made it into the show? Man, what am I allowed to say? Not allowed to say. <laughs> it's a good question. Very good question. You can say whatever you want, I, FJ. <laughs> I'm not I mean, we, didn't, we didn't cut much. Like once we had the scripts written, we, you know, knew exactly what we were, you know, trying to accomplish and, and how we were going to execute on it. You know, there's obviously ideas that get thrown around in the writer's room that, you know, some of them we just can't accomplish for production reasons. Some of them are just too outlandish, you know, some of them, some ideas that we would explore, you know, just didn't work story-wise. So I'm trying to think of like something specific. I, I can never a uh, plan to transform Unicron. No, Unicron wasn't, to be honest, originally going to be in it at all. And 
we were just lucky that we had seen they were doing the HasLab thing. Like we saw the HasLab thing years ago, like the prototypes and the, they brought me to some secret, like, no, I'm not joking. They brought me to some room where someone had to like borrow a key card to get into, like someone high up in the brand, like couldn't even get in. Like, and you know, and I'm looking around cause there's like star Wars toys. It's like all the top secret shit. And it's like, you know, trying, trying to behave. Right. And, we saw the prototype and what we, we always, I guess, I don't remember. We'd have to talk to Gavin because he wrote the dead universe episode, but the idea was always like with Galvatron showing, we always knew Galvatron was going to show up and we were always going to have the voiceover of Unicron. But I think when we saw the, and the idea was that was just going to be a moment. And then the, but the fan service (laughs) of it, was just going to be the voice. But then when they said we have the CAD data of Unicron of this thing, mm. we knew we could do it. But the, but the problem is if you transform them into the bot, then you got to do something with them. Right. And we, and, and look, you know, again, this is the, the, the abuse I get, you know, on Facebook and things like that is we only have X amount of episodes. So if I'm doing a season where you got to introduce how many Beast Wars characters, have them make sense, have Galvatron and Nemesis make sense, while fix, finishing the Optimus, Megatron, Autobot, Decepticon story you've told in Siege and Earthrise, where do you put Unicron? Like, you know, the, the problem is, where are you going to put them? There's no logic. Like, without unraveling the story, you'd have to throw the Beast Wars story out if you want Unicron in there, because you got to give them enough time to exist and somebody else's story down the line. I will, I will tell you this, there's, there was an attempt to try and do the earth modes in kingdom. And there's a bit we had to cut because the, the problem became again, um, this is way out of school shit, but the, <laughs> you know, Hasbro has to sell these toys. Right. But luckily they never forced anything on us. They never like, there's only one thing Hasbro ever asked in that entire show. Two things. One, I'm not going to tell you about, but the other one was you got to have dead. Could you have dead Optimus in there somewhere? Because we're going to do a toy of dead Optimus. And I went, okay. And that's why in the dead universe, you see dead Optimus, the 86 movie dead Optimus. And it ended up working perfectly. And um, though, even though it's called something else, because alternate universe, Optimus they're going to kill me for this is they can't call it dead universe, something dead in it, a toy that says dead in it and sell it on Amazon because it's an Amazon exclusive. Amazon wouldn't let them. Mm. So then they were calling it dark universe. And then we're like, no, the universal thing with all the monsters is called dark universe. <laughs> That's the true story. Um, so the problem was, you know, Hey, in kingdom, we're going to do the earth modes of the classic G1 characters. And a, as you guys have heard me complain over the last year, is we only have X amount of character models, X amount of characters we can do, right? But story reason, we couldn't figure out if they were going from the dead universe in Earthrise, coming out of that and coming to Earth, we don't have time to take them to an Earth where they can scan Earth modes and then somehow end up in Beast Wars. Right, like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't right. chronologically. It doesn't make sense. Mm. So we came up with a sort of 
workaround that, and you can see a little bit, and this is a big sort of Easter egg, is in the beginning of the first episode, Matt, jump in if I'm messing this up. Prime, remember, Prime is injured, and he's sparking and all that stuff, you know, when he's fighting Primal, and then he sort of faints and all that stuff. The original idea was that the Beast Wars characters would say, we have the technology to help him, to fix him, and they inadvertently upgrade him into the Earth mode. So the original idea was when he wakes up from the bed, he would be in the Earth mode, and they would sort of be like, because they came from the future, we have his schematics of what he is later. So actually, when you look at the computer, there's a Matt, where's the computer where it actually says 1984? Yeah, it's in the med bay on the Ark. Yeah, like if you look in the med bay on the Ark, at one point it says 1984, and it's actually like flickering stuff of like the history of Transformers, like really brief. But and we, I think we even got as far as the animatic stage, and there was going to be a bit where when Prime shows up into action later, RC goes, what did, what did she say? Like, new look? New yeah. something? And he was like, I can't explain it. And then it was just like, this doesn't work. Like it, it, like it was, it was square peg in a round hole, whatever the the phrase is. It just didn't work, and and it, and it really. Then the question becomes: If you're doing this with guy, you don't have it for Megatron. You don't have it for stars. You know, seekers and all that stuff. And you know, and we couldn't sit there and justify an excuse when you only have six episodes that there'd be an episode where somehow they land in Portland, Oregon, 1984, and then go through a portal somewhere, and they're in Beast Wars. Like, I. If I told my studio in Japan, we got to build Portland, Oregon, 1984, they'd be like, <laughs> they'd kill me. You know what I mean? Like, they'd never speak to me again. And so that was one thing that ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, oh, I, I, thought of, well, I thought of one more thing that we cut, too. What? This one's going to pain you, too. Oh, so originally, we were supposed to have double dealers alt mode in Earthrise. We had planned on that the entire time. And I'm sure I'm going to get some hate from this. But I always thought Double Dealer's alt mode was just a little bit silly. And so, like, I would tease FJ about it. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I've got to make sure that the bird gets in there. And for whatever reason, like, as we were writing those scripts, there was just never a moment where it made sense for him to transform. And, like, you know, we, we tried to put it in a couple of places and it just didn't make sense. And so eventually FJ broke down. He's like, all right, we won't do it. We can. And then we reallocated that asset to, to one of the Beast Wars characters to make sure they had their alt mode, which I think well, ended that up. That was the other problem off. is we originally had less Beast Wars car- modes. And then we mm-hmm. realized at a certain point, if you don't see all these guys, except maybe Scorponok doesn't transform, the, the you know, we're going to get killed. You know, like it's stupid. Like, it, you know, like I even had to sort of with Netflix in the trailer where you see them transform. That wasn't originally in the trailer. And I was like, that's your money is to show the Beast Wars characters transforming. And, and, you know, and especially when we started to see Polygon, Polygon's test of the beast modes, where they look like beasts and they look like fluid animals. And we were like, holy shit. Like, this is great. Like they did such a killer job with it. Um, But yeah, like, Things, everybody complains this one didn't transform in Siege, this one didn't transform. The idea is, if they did, then you're not getting Beast Wars. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it sounds like everybody's cheap and whatever. It's not. It's being realistic, because then if you go, you know, then nobody will make the show if the budget's this. You know what I mean? And it's it's easy for, you know, YouTube channel proto guy to tell you 
you know, I know what I'm doing. And it's like, no, you don't, because this is actually how these things really get made and stop talking like you actually know. And you want Beast Wars, because that's why there's less characters in Earthrise, because we were saving it up for Beast Wars, or for Kingdom. Um, and in retrospect, I'm glad we made that decision. You know, that was the idea, was like, when you meet all those characters first, we see them all in Beast mode. You know, that was the fun part, like Cheetor coming, you know, what the hell is that? You know, like if they showed up as robots first, you know, the Autobots would sit there and be like, well, they're, hey, who are those Transformers? You know, who are those guys? Whereas, you know, everybody you see, you see a rat, you see a rhino, all this cool stuff. Like, like how do you not pay that off? You know, how, and then how do you, you know, especially Dinobot, like it, it, it's so awesome, those characters. I, I learned to really love the Beast Wars characters in uh, this. Like, it, it made me look at it in a completely different way. Um, yeah. The other thing from the cutting room floor that I can think of was the final scene of the whole series we did probably, and you can ask Tim when you have him on, we probably did four different endings. And the only one I can tell you that I wanted to end on was with the mercenaries and that got killed. That's the only Hasbro, the entire show never put their foot down until that ending. I was like, well, we were sound blasting this whole time. And of course they were, they were like, uh, you know, somehow he survived and here's where he is. And dun, dun, dun. And they were like, no, and we ended up landing on something cooler with Unicron and, you know, Nemesis and uh, Galvatron because um, it leaves it open-ended, you know, and anybody can pick it up and go or someone could do a comic someday about it. Yeah, I was about to say years from now, you can have someone do a Mercenaries comic that, you know, kind of shows where Sound Blaster went off. Do you, know, you see Matt like, laughing? Do you see Matt laughing? <laughs> Matt's laughing because He's been talking about that for Because I've been now. trying to for two years, the birth of the mercenaries, and um, to, to deaf ears, basically. I've been pitching that to deaf ears. <laughs> so speaking of one, the animate... Okay. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, speaking of like, the, the animation that you're talking about, like the, the fluidity of it, I guess, I, I really do agree. I, I loved the 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 beast animation on this. I think I loved it like more than like anything that has like, come before, like more than the siege or more than Earthrise. Everything just felt it it felt real. It felt believable. It felt like these are are like actual animals. And yeah, I think that was it came out really, really well. They rocked it. They I mean like that's all polygon. You know, they and Beast Wars, you know, especially in Japan, has a certain reverence because they did so many versions of it. You know, Beast Wars 2, Beast Wars Neo, all that stuff, which I, I love. It's all batshit crazy. None of it <laughs> makes sense. And it just looks great. Right? But was, was there any thought about bringing in like, any of those characters for No, for because it was, it's all every, you know, everything we did is toy based, meaning gotcha. we sort of early on, and Matt probably has all this stuff somewhere. You know, we sort of got an overview very early on of these are the characters that we're making toys of in the three uh, waves. And, uh, or the three chapters, so to speak. So I know from their point of view, they wanted to stick with the classic characters. But like, 
you know, the thing is, because we were so ahead of the toys. So, the you know, like where we had the CAD data for the G1 for Earthrise and Siege, not for um, Kingdom. Kingdom's all built from model sheets or that they look a little different than the toys. You'd see if you really look at them close. Um, because the toys, we were ahead of the toys. So the toys weren't built yet. Um, so some of them were a little more masterpiece oriented. Um, we, but they all came from model sheets that Hasbro gave us that they were building off of. Um, some of that stuff gets released now, like the artist puts them out. Um, uh, but no, to answer your question, Mike, the, the, we stuck within the thing. And we had sort of a list of, you can kill these characters. These characters need to go on the Ark into Earthrise. These characters need to be in, in Kingdom. Uh, and then they change it and forget to tell us. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> be like, oh, shit, wait a minute. So, you know, we had an overview of, you know, the, the problem with a show that's called War for Cybertron, if you don't front load it in the war chapter, which is Siege, with a lot of characters, even if they're small or big, then it doesn't feel like a war, right? So that's why we front-loaded everything. So when we get to Earthrise and they go into space, you know, we only really meet the, you know, Double Dealer and we meet um, Decius and the uh, Skylinks and Scorpionox were sort of the key characters in that because we knew we were going to have so many characters at the end. So you have to be sort of judicious in how you lay those quote-unquote assets out um, and be smart about how you use the characters. You know, like when we built you know, and, and people get worked up about the redecos and all that stuff. It's like, that's a Transformers tradition. Like, like Warden, John Warden gave us a deck. There's this like awesome deck that is literally the history of Transformers redecos. So like when you see all the cogs and shit, like those colors are all specifically chosen by Hasbro, right? Like with the, the Rainmakers in there, we snuck them in, you know, with the, um, the Coneheads, which was a whole fight over that with Polygon to get them to add the cones on the head or we'd be crucified by the fans to have <laughs> Ramjet and Dirge and all that shit. And, um, but literally we had a sort of guide of redeco. You know, like um, uh, who came out of that, Matt? I'm trying to remember because there was, I mean, there's so many different redecos. I'm trying to think of like a specific one. I remember Bug Bite being a big one. Bug Bite was a big one. We were like, we're going to make him a mercenary. We're going we're gonna to make him. Because that's the other story I can, I can tell is Bumblebee wasn't originally in the show at all. Because um, he wasn't part of the toy line. That's why there, he wasn't in the main toy line. So originally, there was no Bumblebee. Um, and then, I don't know if it had anything to do with the movie. Because when we started, the movie wasn't out yet. And then eventually it was like, Oh, can you sneak Bumblebee at the end of the first season? And it was like, okay, we can figure something out with Bumblebee. And then it was, hey, can you put Bumblebee in the show? And it was like, yeah, no problem. Like, he's cool. He's in the first scene. Sorry? He's in the first scene of the show. Well, we got lucky that they sort of told us just before we started to get serious with it. And that's why we were able to, you know, then George came up with the idea of, hey, we're going to open on Bumblebee and Wheeljack, you know, as an homage to the original show. Um, But that's also one of the reasons why Bumblebee doesn't transform because they didn't know what he was going to transform into. You know what I mean? Like, and I didn't want a little UFO flying around. You know what I mean? Like, it's very tricky. You know what I mean? Like, how do you do that? So he's based on the masterpiece. And then they eventually added him to the Netflix toy line. 
you know, like a lot of that toy line is sort of as we kept going. Oh, the Seekers are the big redeco. I mean, not the Seekers, the Sparkless were the big redeco. Like, you know, let's do zombies and all, everybody thinks they're the Terracons. They're not. Um, the Sparkless are its own thing. Um, but that was, you know, sort of Bumblebee wasn't originally going to be in it. And the other big thing, which, Matt, I think we've talked about this on other shows, was originally Ultra Magnus wasn't in that role of the guy who gets killed. It was originally going to be Alpha Trion. So originally everything you see Ultra Magnus doing was originally going to be Alpha Trion, who we knew from the beginning was going to be in it. But then the problem became... We, and, and we got pretty far with the development of it. So the idea was already, he, I don't think he surrendered. I think he was already sort of captured by Megatron when we originally conceived it. Um, and then he would eventually kill Alpha Trion. And that's where the idea of the protocols and all the shit came out of. And what happened was we had a call with Hasbro, like everything with Hasbro, they eventually go, oh, wait a minute, over here we're doing this. And they're trying to do an aligned continuity, right? Which you guys all know about. So like Cyberverse was ahead of us with uh, similar elements, the AltSpark going into the space bridge, right? All the all these things, they go to Earth and whatever. And so they said, oh shit, Ultra Magnus, I mean not Ultra Magnus, Alpha Trion, technically in your continuity needs to be dead already. And we were like, oh, shit, okay. You know, like, <laughs> we just developed this entire Bible with Alpha Trion. And, but because Alpha Trion was going to get killed in the first couple episodes, it wasn't something that had a huge domino effect on everything else. So, you know, we had gotten a hold of the Cyberverse scripts, I think, for the first two seasons. And I went through them. I remember printing them out. It was like this much stuff and just sort of, wherever they mentioned the AllSpark or Alpha Trion and sort of went with a highlighter and sort of went through it and put a post-it so we had the reference to it. And plus having Gavin, and Gavin came in at some point and he had come from Cyberverse, so he instinctively already knew what was going on in that show so we could align the kind of... So for example, I think originally we had toyed with the idea of Bumblebee being the one throwing the AllSpark into the um, Space Bridge. And it was like, no, you can't do that. It's got key moments in the franchise now want, they want to align. So it's like, if this historic thing happens, it needs to be the same in everything. Okay. So Optimus has to be the one who throws the all-spark. That's sort of like... Nex- Nexus events. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's sort of the idea in Kingdom where B is the one with the all-spark. Like Nemesis goes after Prime... But B's the one running with the AllSpark. That was sort of lifted from how we were going to end Siege. So the idea, the original ending of Siege, if we were going to go with this Bumblebee route, was the idea of everybody's chasing Prime and it's B who's got it. You know, and it was sort of like the badass moment of just like they get Prime, like where is it, you know, rips them open and there's no AllSpark. And you had B over here like, Uh and we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Yeah. And, uh, but then you'd have to figure out how he throws it. And it doesn't mean as much as Prime doing it. So, you know, it's like, you know, sliding doors kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's Optimus's whole motivation, like essentially the downfall of Cybertron itself is because he did that. 
Exactly. And those are the things you realize as you sort of write, you know, like when we did the initial Bible, you know, it was very heavy on siege, mild on Earthrise and very thin on Kingdom because we didn't sort of know where it was going. So, um, you know, early on and we knew the scripts would inform that. And to your point, if anybody else throws the AllSpark into the space bridge, then it doesn't make sense. You know, it's it's Prime's guilt and it comes full circle when he sees Alita's body. It's a, you had to have, like I was saying earlier, you have to have the price of war. You know, I mean, if you don't have that price of war and everybody comes back, then it's just a then it's just a shitty cartoon versus, you know, something with some stakes and some weight to it that informs the character. You know, every, I, look, I'm not an idiot. I know everybody's like, I don't like this version of Optimus. You know, he's stupid and, you know, everybody's smarter than him. It's like that was the whole point was him learning those lessons throughout this. You know, and I think we paid it off, especially with the Alita payoff at the end of the thing. That's what he becomes Optimus Prime. I also, uh, you know, despite the, I, I think you put a lot, you gave the, all three series had a lot of weight, but they also had some humor elements in them as well. And I appreciated that. I wonder um, how much did you have to convince Hasbro to let you actually use the word transform? in kingdom like i i, I had the the one part where the the maximals say maximize and then uh, i think it was hound says is that how they say transform and i, I was like oh he said transform because you know with the hasbro guys they're always saying convert they say the you know, toys convert they don't transform they convert yeah and, and you got some oh well that's great that's great because we you know that's a that's a um a pet peeve of mine is that they uh they in in the cartoons and comics now they don't let the transformers say that they transform they you know they always convert or change or whatever so <laughs> i don't know you know i don't ask questions unless somebody yells at me i don't ask questions because then you open the pandora's box and yeah. best you just yeah. ask forgiveness later mm-hmm. and uh i oh go ahead no i'm sorry what are you gonna say uh, i did notice um you added uh you know this and this is something i mean it's it's uh it's not a huge thing. It's, it's kind of, you know, just a small little element, but uh, I got the sense that black arachnia is we, you know, we get a little bit of a LGBT representation uh, in black arachnia in the show. So, you know, two times we noticed she's a, she, she's attracted to RC and then, you know, she gives uh, air razor a kiss. So I I just thought that was a a nice little uh, addition added in there. That's intentional. You know, May brought that in to, it was very important. And, you know, we got a lot of compliments from people at Hasbro about that, you know, that they, they, you know, and that was sort of, look, I don't want to sound preachy about it, but, you know, it's 21st century, let's, if it, if it gives depth to the characters in the story, let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and uh, Black Arachne was a lot of fun to, to watch the, the writers come up with that. They were they they did such a good job with these characters, and I like Air Razor a lot. And again, I'm, you're talking to somebody who had no emotional attachment to those characters, and I sort of ended the process sort of being in love with all of them, you know, and wanting those toys, you know, like when they send those, those are the ones I'm not giving away. Though I did give Matt my Beast Wars Megatron to go with his masterpiece. Very nice um, to do. But yeah, I'm glad you noticed that because that was that was uh, something we're really uh, excited about. And I, I don't. I was curious. Uh, 
in like the this the section where they're all in the, the all spark forest and having all their hallucinations there's one point where black arachnia i think she hallucinates a wolf or she hears a wolf howling was that like a a, a reference to beast wars silverbolt yeah oh cool <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if it was list was it in the script matt yeah it's very intentional that yeah, it's very, the, the thing is we got really scared because in the animatic the wolf face was very prominent and i was just like oh no 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 they're like no there's gonna be sex <laughs> over and all that stuff it's like okay you know yeah. but um uh yeah that was uh you know all that is the the uh, temple of the all sparks defense mechanisms messing with everybody <laughs> i'm glad you caught that i forgot all about that to be honest with you <laughs> that's why i'm paying the big bucks <laughs> yeah big zeros giant giant zeros giant dollars, giant dollars. <laughs> um one I, I guess uh one a couple of characters beast wars characters that i guess are are relatively prominent but were i guess missing and, and maybe it was you know just a kind of a, a budget or, or a scheduling issue but uh you know and may, I, maybe they for the tone of the show, they might not have fit was, was Waspinator and Tarantulas. I guess those two guys, uh, th- that was the only, uh, you know, in terms of prominent Beast Wars characters that I, I would, you know, would have liked to have seen they were, uh, they were missing, but, uh, was there any discussion? Them, did they? Uh, I mean, the, I don't know if no, the, the la- I guess the, yeah, the, the new, the, uh, there's, I, I don't think there's a Tarantulas. I, I think we're there's rumors of a Waspinator coming out but uh, but you see that's my point if, if they're not yeah. on the show it's because they weren't going to make them as toys you know what i mean like yeah. i'm sure if we insisted hey waspinator needs to be in this they wouldn't give us a hard time but again mm-hmm. what is yeah. you know like it's waspinator's not he's comic relief that, you know, yeah, totally that, that would have been a bit of a challenge yeah yeah, yeah. In, in my mind they both died years ago <laughs> there you go and, and, you know, and they, Black- they did stuff later, like ha- Hasbro ended up making things like the toys for the line, like the the, the what are they called the the fossilizers and all that stuff. We didn't mm-hmm. know anything about that stuff, um, mm-hmm. you know. And, and in retrospect, I'm sort of glad we didn't because we could focus on those core characters. The only the only Beast Wars character who sort of gets shortchanged is Scorponok. Like he doesn't really he has that one fight and that's it. There are multiple of him. Yeah, because they told us that could be your sort of cog or seeker or you know whatever that could be your sort of soldier thing. Okay. And we needed something like they only pop up when Air Razor and Black Arachne are on the Nemesis trying to you know hack it. You know, like that was we needed something in that moment to increase the drama of it, and uh, and that's where they they sort of came in. Mm-hmm. Just red shirts. That, that's really what they were. <laughs> I can't and imagine we weren't using a lot. So, you know, I know they pop up in a, one of the trailers, and everybody was like, "What is that?" You know, like you, you're so cheap. It's like, okay. <laughs> I can't imagine trying to like shoehorn in like all the the fossilizers, just like, a bunch of completely new characters into a, a, a situation like this. I mean, at least with Cog in in Siege, he's. You know, somewhat of an established character. You have not even an understanding of who he is, but with fossilizers, it's just like like grabbing like four or five just brand new characters and brand new figures and and brand new rigs and everything for your animation too. That's just, yeah, because we didn't have data, right? So to your point, Mike, that you know, 
with Cog, we knew early on, hey, there'd be a character called Cog. We give him something. Do we give him a little mini arc and kill him off in Earthrise? <laughs> um, but then also the double purpose of they had told us very early on, maybe in one of these decks, like those are the foot soldiers. You know, those are the foot, and you can color them in different things. So it serves a rich purpose to the story, meaning we have a character that we can give a little bit to, but then we can easily multiply that. And of course, from a Hasbro point of view, and I might have told this story already is the fact that he becomes the shoulder guns, you know, like he can, was Hasbro like, hey, that's a toy we're doing. And, you know, and intentionally the moment in Siege where you see that, you know, in the ambush scene in Siege, that's intentionally the first footage we always showed Hasbro and Takara Tomy because then they saw that thing split and they go, that's the toy. They get very excited when it's the, the toy elements. And then they don't bother you about the story stuff. show them exactly what they're working on and you can work on your own stuff i get it i get you (laughs) exactly but you know then they did certain things like um that i wish they told me that we didn't know about for example um what's his face spinister right that they did they what was the redecoed version of spinister that they put out where he's like blue and all that shit, right? Like, oh yeah, um, rotor storm. storm. Yeah, like if they had told us that, we would have put that kind of. That's the kind of stuff we would put a bunch of those guys in the background, right, and stuff like that. And, but there are things like they're making the toys; they're not thinking about us in Burbank and Tokyo working on the show. You know, there. You know, it's as good as the communication is. We you know we don't have that luxury of like, oh, we're doing an exclusive of whatever the purple and orange version of RC is well we would have killed her instead of Moonracer. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. <laughs> um you know those those are the kind of things where you know we were almost especially early on very OCD about being as closely aligned with the toys as possible. You know, I was on here rambling about it I'm sure last year and now it's like, you know, okay guy, take a breath. You know, like you 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 You've got these characters in here. Take a breath. You got the arc bot, you know, that kind of thing. So now that that everything's wrapped up, I mean, you're you're at the finish line. Well, I mean, when this when this shows when this uh, podcast goes up, you'll be at the finish line. Uh, what do you uh, do? You, I mean, I know probably can't talk about you know details of any future projects, but what, you know what are, what's next for you guys or, or I'm sure you're already working on, on different things. Matt and I have another anime that's next year for Netflix based on something that's not a toy. Then you'll see next year that okay. Gavin worked on with us. Um, original, original concept. No, no, it's, it's based on a very popular IP, um, but it's not a toy IP. That's all I can say. Um, so that has kept us busy. And, you know, we'll, we'll see where all that goes. You know, we've had a, we've been on Transformers now for six years, you know, between Prime Wars and this, you know, it's been a, a journey and a half. Um, and, you know, War for Cybertron is the best experience of my career. What is that? <laughs> no, it's not superhero. It's not superhero. It's not comic book. I can tell you that. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll say it's video game related. That, that's all I'll say. 
Um, but, you know, we're, we're very lucky that we got to work on this and we've had such a ball doing it. And Hasbro and Netflix and Rooster Teeth have been so supportive of us. And, and someday I'll write a book about it, you know, the experience on it, because Prime Wars was such a weird experience that, you know, I'm waiting for like the 10th anniversary of that someday to throw everybody under the bus with that show um, because I, I hate it. And um, uh, with, you're, you're, you're driving that bus right now. Yeah. It's tell us how you really feel about it. Yeah, no, someday I will. But the, what was, you know, by the way, don't forget Matt and I were the ones who cast Ron Perlman as Optimus Primal in Power of the Primes, you know, and now he's going to do the character in the movie, which is hilarious to me because he was sort of non, very nonchalant about it when he worked for us. Um, but the Prime Wars, which is a completely different animal, no pun intended, was really graduate school, like training school for Transformers. That's where we learned everything to do and not to do by the time we got to war for Cybertron, and then we learned all new lessons on this that, that have been super valuable, but it, whether you like war for Cybertron or not, it's made by people who genuinely cared about wanting to make a great show from here to Japan and everywhere in between, whether it's the, you know, the writers, the actors, the, the production team, the, the gang in Japan, we were, we were, we've spent the last three or four years in particular being obsessed with this show and, and understanding the responsibility of what we had to deliver with this. And no show is perfect, um, but this is one to be really, really proud of. And it's one of those things, you know, I say this on every podcast that I, I am excited to be someday be 80 years old at the Burbank Marriott at one of these cons, sort of throwing more people under the bus, and, but telling more of these stories about it because we're super proud of it and it's, it's, it's been a joy and it's allowed us to be creative and play in a sandbox. Very few people get to do. Um, and that's a real honor to do that. Is that, I hope that all makes sense. Yeah. Well, I have, um, one kind of final question from me. Um, when you finally do like give that final, turn into Netflix and Hasbro saying, you know, basically this is the final thing. Do you have kind of uh, something that you do with each show just kind of to do you go out, celebrate, do you have just kind of pass out? <laughs> like, you know, what do you do? Well, the, you... the first season, well, the problem is the second and third seasons were done during COVID. So the first season, what we did was, um, we, we were doing the post-production on the Paramount lot. And what was I was hoping to be the tradition was stealing one of the golf carts and driving around the lot on it. And there's somewhere on my Instagram from the first one. And we just drove all over the lot on the first one. And then the set, we didn't get to do that on the second, third one. Though, I the, the tradition was I always took the voice team out when we rapped on that. Um, for to a Japanese shabu shabu place not far from where I am right now, um, and the th- but the thing is, Jeremy, it's like 
these sh- this show was really one giant 18 episode show meaning there were no breaks like when we did so when we did prime wars prime wars was you finish the season and there was a gap there was a break how long that was i don't know because i got fired immediately after the first one and then got brought back in the middle of the second one and that's where matt and i took over that's why the second season's so bad um because it was already in progress and the third one is somewhat coherent um but that was because we had the gaps in between, or at least on the second and third one, to sit there and, and assess what people were commenting on, et cetera. I mean, this would this would be a very different show if we had that with this. You know, we would have sat there and been like, oh my God, everybody's saying this, we gotta change this, maybe overthink it. So there's something for me very pure about the 18 episode three arc thing. And you know, the big surprise to me is that people didn't like Earthrise as much as Siege. And I think some of that has to do with the fact, Matt, I haven't even told you this, and I was wrong about this, is if you look at Siege and Kingdom, they're sort of like mini movies. And Earthrise is a little more episode of the week kind of thing. It's like we go to Char, we go to um, Space Station, we go here, you know, and all that stuff. And I think we were sort of hogtied a little bit on the second season because we in our minds had already set up we're going to have a Quintesson and we're going to have Scorponok in the space station. We're going to have Skylinks in the dead universe. And we knew you couldn't do that as like a continuing narrative like you could Siege with Kingdom. And that's sort of my only sort of creative regret is could we have done that a little, you know, differently and made it flow better? Um, I don't know where I was I like Earth Rise better. Um, I'm sorry? I I liked Earthrise, the, you know, actually the best out of all three. There it goes. I mean, the thing is, you know, the, the problem in this day and age in COVID is particularly is you're suddenly not at the comic cons and not at the shows where you can talk to people and sort of gauge who did what, you know what I mean? Like well, you can you always know, talk to me, uh, FJ, you can always talk. To me. <laughs> I will. I mean, it's like therapy. I'm going to charge you. You got to charge by the hour, but the, 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 yeah, we're, we're super proud of it. We do, you know, I, I wish I could have taken everybody out for a big dinner and done one of these things with the writers and all that stuff. And maybe I still will now the world's coming back a little bit. But, um, you know, like we would have had a big, you know, we planned a big sort of rap party in Tokyo with the crew there, which I keep promising when I get back, I will do that. Because um, everybody worked so hard on this. It, it's a real labor of love. It's a real, you know, very fortunate to be trusted with this and and you know it's one of those things where i think the further i get away from it the better the memory of it will be because i'm super proud of it yeah well you know luckily you guys didn't kill me so then that's a good thing speaking of the of the world opening up we do know that uh conventions are are happening later later in the year and early next year so there's going to be a tfcon Baltimore and a TFCon LA in early next year. Um, any chance we might see you guys there? If someone calls me, you know, as you can see, I can talk about it. So if people call me, I'm always happy to talk about it. If people want to talk about the show, I'm always happy to go to these things. Mm-hmm. As long as Matt's there to protect me. <laughs> Is that the Burbank Marriott? If it's the Burbank Marriott, then I'm there in the second. I'll be, I'll be there next- in a heartbeat. 
because <laughs> I, the big secret is that the reason we always mention the Burbank Marriott is, I, and if I've told this story, I apologize to your audience, is our office is connected to the Burbank Marriott. Oh, <laughs> in the same complex as Hasbro Studios. So we spent a lot of time in the last, well, pre-COVID year. We eventually moved into that space, that campus. And the, the sort of perk of it was you got your key card to get you through a gate that led you to the Burbank Marriott, right? So like, one t- you know, and we'd go to the, the pool and have a drink after work with the, you know, the Rooster Teeth team and all that stuff and the other producers on the show. So, or the writers, depending on who was there. And, um, you know, then there were always like these different, like weirdo conventions going on. Like what, there was like the sex toy convention. <laughs> I'm not joking, Matt. Remember? He's, yeah. He's not joking. I'm not joking. It was like, you know, and the thing is, cause we're coming in through the, the, this gate, like you're in the back part of it where like all the, the exhibits are being shipped in. And it's like, you know, all these crazy things, like, which I don't want to repeat, but, you're sitting there going, oh, okay, let's just go to the pool. And it's like all the people who sell sex toys are at the, you know, Burbank Marriott pool thing. So I'm like, I just wanted a TF con, which I don't, you know, I'm, it sure now, I'm, sure it's over, I'm probably allowed to go, but you know, TFCon, uh, March 11th through 13th at the Burbank Marriott. Well, maybe I'll still be in the office then. <laughs> Matt's already out. So maybe I'll, COVID, we're not allowed back in the office yet. So no. by the time I get back to the office, they're going to kick me out because the show is done. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it. I will. Uh, that's my dream is to be the old man at the Burbank Marriott. You know, like that. I'm hoping history, you know, is kind to the show, and they go, "Oh, Warf Sabatron was great." That's what I think was going to happen when the live action feature comes out with the Beast, and then they sit there and go, "Oh, Warf's Kingdom was so much better. Kingdom was the way." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what he wasn't. He wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> That's my own guilt, you know. <laughs> uh, well, I, we'll put you in touch with the guy who organizes it. We interviewed him on Sunday. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, now we're happy to always talk about the show because we're so proud of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys you guys uh, pulled off a, a really uh, a great feat here. And, and you know, the, the year of the, the 35th anniversary of the 86 movie, the 25th anniversary of beast wars. I think you, you did something that is an homage to both and satisfies uh, both sets of fans. So I, I think uh, you guys should be proud of, of what you produce here. So, you know, thanks, thanks for adding to, uh, you know, putting, uh, giving us an, another great, uh, uh, you know, transformer story added to the canon, added to the multiverse and, uh, and, you know, keep, uh, we'll, we'll keep, uh, you know, rolling those stories on. Mm-hmm. So thanks. Well, no, we appreciate you guys always letting us come on. And, you know, this is, like I said, this is therapy for me um, <laughs> in particular, you know, like, and we appreciate anybody who watches it and gives it a chance, you know, even if you like it or don't like it, you know, it, it's looking at it with an open mind and sort of understanding where, you know, the, the beauty of getting to talk to you guys is having the opportunity to sort of express the motivations and the intentions of the show and, and the love we have for the franchise, you know, it's, it's something we, we take and took very seriously throughout the entire process. And, and, you know, I am semi relieved that this conversation wasn't you guys going, well, we didn't understand this and this didn't make sense with the Beast Wars characters and all that shit. And, you know, because 
that was a big concern is a lot of work went into this, into kingdom and all credit to May and Tim who really locked themselves up, you know, and you know, there, there was, there was a lot, you know, it's like as a showrunner, you want, my job is to sit there and, and half the skill set is knowing when somebody's better at you than something at something, you know, that's why Matt and I get along because he, he can run a show like nobody's business. And I'm the one running around going, I want mercenaries, you know, like, and, <laughs> and he goes, shut up, you know, like worry about this. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, May and Tim on this one took what we wanted to do and figured out a way to deliver it in a, on a very high level that I think pays off the series and, and what Charles was saying, the, 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 you caught the homages to 86 and G1 and Beast Wars. And that was always our thing was how to, how to respect that, you know, and, and hopefully our, our legacy with this show is, you know, three seasons of something that honored the show and was a love letter to the show or this, the franchise, um, you know, and, and didn't screw up too much, you know, and ruin people's childhoods and things like that. Well, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think you ruined anyone's childhood. So all right. Well, uh, I think we'll uh, we'll end things there. Thank you again to uh, FJ DeSanto and Matt Murray for coming on. Uh, this is the Transmissions Podcast. Uh, if you like Transformers, want to hear us talk about Transformers, you can go to our website, transmissionspodcast.com. We do two shows every week, uh, one all about Transformers toys and merchandise and one all about Transformers comics and media. So uh, we love talking Transformers. And uh, if you're interested, uh, Check us out. Uh, put us in your podcast app, and you know we've got over 400 episodes to listen to. So uh, start from episode one and enjoy. You'll be here a while. <laughs> it's great to paint a house too. And uh, yeah, and uh, go uh, if if you've watched this and you haven't watched uh, War for Cybertron on Netflix, uh, go check it out. It's still great, even if we spoiled all all the details for you. Go check it out. And uh, let uh, let FJ and Matt uh, know what you thought of the series, and uh, you know only if you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks everyone uh, for watching and listening, and uh, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Later.